When you want to make something believable, watch Wes's feet hit the ground here. The splashes. What's happening here is those are things that you don't really notice at first, but it's selling it to you. So conceptually, like this hospital falling apart and him having to do like a midair save sounds like a cool idea. I'm taking. Oh my god. <laughs> Come on, guys. I can't even like it. Oh, tell me when it's over. So the whole scene's premise from the beginning is good. It's a funny scene. So right there, the writing is well done. And I think that does a lot because it's all working together, right? He's mm -hmm. a funny character. He's making this guy punch himself. So you're not focused on the CG. Um, but it doesn't work like it that. It seems, you know? Yeah. They're like, well, when are you spending on the money? Yeah. Like, I don't manage everything. And I'm like, stop it. You know, leave the artists to do their thing. Yeah. But Let them cook. Welcome to Backseat Directing. Where we talk about movies, TV shows, comics, and more. We're your hosts. Andrew. And Aaron. With Dan today. We put out new episodes every Monday and Thursday. And on this episode, we're going to be talking with Dan and reacting to different CGI scenes. Three, two, one, action. So that's our theme song that you can't hear, but the audience, they can hear this theme song that plays after our intro. But Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Uh, you are a CGI artist mm -hmm. and I've had the pleasure to meet and work and stuff. So tell me, like, how did you get involved in CGI? Oh my God. Uh, there were computers in my life when I was a kid. Uh, we always had a PC in the house. And then when I got to be around maybe in my teens, probably about 14, I ended up with a group of people who were a bunch of writers and weirdos. And I ended up getting, yeah, getting artsy fartsy. And I remember <laughs> like this little universe we had built together kind of got big enough that I wanted to show it visually, but I had no way of knowing how to. And then in 1999, The Phantom Menace came out and it was for good or bad, a CGI extravaganza. And as a result, I realized that, well, I know computers and you can tell stories with computers. George Lucas kind of proved it. So I started downloading all the programs I could find. And back then there wasn't a lot online that you could find on how to do stuff. Mm -hmm. I kind of watched the DVDs and watched the uh, listen to the audio commentaries and stuff on how they how the visual effects studios did it. Wow. on all those movies. So what you're saying is Jar Jar Binks inspired you to work in. in it was not so much Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> we'll say that. Uh, but um, Have you guys seen the videos of uh, like people reacting to the movie right after coming out? And there's like this like quick cut of people like raving about the movie. Like this is how people, what people thought about it when it first came out. Opening night, people are like, I'm, I'm going right back in to see it again. It's like midnight or whatever. Like I'm going back in to see it again. I loved it. I think it's going to be just, they're like, just as good, if not better than the original trilogy. And then it's like, as time went on, people like grew to hate them. It's so strange, like how that, how that changed. Yeah. I don't know. It's one of those weird things. It's like the new, the, the sequels of the original series, the three new Disney films. One of them has an insanely high rating, tomato rate, tomato meter rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm on the audience 
side. And then you only ever hear people talk bad, badly. Yeah. I don't know who paid for that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> uh, but hey, hey, to each their own. I guess everybody has whatever makes people happy. But in terms of special effects, I mean, they've always been pushing the boundary. Like yeah. every Star Wars trilogy has been at the forefront of that. So that's cool that it, that's what like brought Got you in the first place. Yeah. 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 And then I got into it. Uh, my first, I guess, official client was in the late 2000s. I got hired on to make a little spaceship for some guy uh, and then ended up getting into it more full time, bounced out of it for a little bit, took took a hiatus and went into the CAD design industry and didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> it's okay, but it's the creative aspect of it is what I missed the most. And so got back into it recently, maybe about a year and a half, two years ago, full-time, and been doing it, going ever strong ever since. It's an interesting job. I mean, you guys both like working full-time in creative industries. It seems like it has like its stresses and headaches also, like any job, but it's gotta be interesting to like do something in that in that arena, you know, something that you're obviously passionate about. Absolutely. I, I, I wish I could do more with CGI stuff because right. kind of like what you were saying, how you like have these stories or these ideas in your head and you just want to get them out there. Yeah. Sometimes those ideas are a little crazier than what you can do with just your friends and a mm -hmm. camera, you know? That's like, what, I, that's what we, we talk about this a ton on the show is what we love about animation is it's so unchained. Like, yeah. um, there's so many stories that you just don't want, like, the reality pulling you down like to earth, like there's just no gravity with animation. You can just do whatever you, you dream in a sense. I mean, mm -hmm. this is obviously not as easy as, you know, one, two, three, and it's done, but like, there's just so much room for things you could have never, like Transformers movies, what would those look like without the advent of like CGI? Yeah. Like that? <laughs> they would probably look a lot like the 80s animated cartoon film. Uh, that's probably what it would look like but the old TMNT movies are like a load of fun but like the guys in suits just they don't they don't move as cool as yeah. the Teenage Mutant Turtle movies doesn't hit as hard yeah <laughs> I agree uh what are some of your favorite movies oh my goodness uh I'm a huge sci-fi nerd uh Star Trek not the new stuff uh the older stuff um the original crews the number six probably like and, the original uh, wrath of khan that well, one not, yes not the benedict cumberbatch <laughs> no uh no uh benedict cumberbatch cumberbatch great guy but um i much prefer uh ricardo ricardo montalban and that's the <laughs> that's the guy he's the original con and um star wars obviously love lord of the rings um uh, what sorry to interrupt you what's your favorite star wars movie though Ooh, Rogue One, believe that's it or not. A, that is a okay. really good yeah. yeah. That's a really yeah. slept on movie. Yeah. yeah. Like, we we often say that that's the best looking Star Wars film. Have you ever <laughs> have you ever watched So a New Hope, not to rag on a New Hope. Beautiful movie. Love it. I'll rag on a New Hope. I <laughs> started it. You yeah. can't you can't it's the Godfather, you know, but um it's so slow. It's yeah. a boring Thank movie. You. Yeah. So, have you ever watched it? From right, uh, staying awake the whole time. Rogue One, <laughs> Rogue One ended. Oh, I see. Have you saying. have you watched the two together? I have not. Because we, it, yeah, it's the story tried. that's connected to it. We tried. Uh, a group of my friends and I. I mean, you didn't. We got ten minutes in. Yeah. The pacing was so like it was like going from, you know, an interstate highway. <laughs> to a back road in the country like that's a good comparison it was like oh it's sudden and it was sudden like it was just like the pavement ended and now you're 
Oh, oh <laughs> slow down, slow down, man. It was yeah, it was rough. Um, and again, not to not to not to rag on A New Hope. That's what started it. Yeah, that's yeah. And Empire Strikes Back is like probably my favorite Star Wars movie. Really, like, right after like it's probably Empire then Rogue One. Okay, right there. Like I still put Rogue One up there because it's great. But like I don't know, Empire makes up for all the storytelling issues that I think are in A New Hope. New Hope is like the exposition mm -hmm. in order for them to create Empire Strikes Back. I feel like. And it's so crazy how the haphazard happened. Like, that was never planned. It was George Lucas just desperately trying to make a movie. Yeah. And mm -hmm. under an incredible time crunch and under an insane budget restriction. And yet he was able to produce it and create ILM in the process, which basically revolutionized modern <laughs> vi visual effects. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, it's evident in the movie's like name change, like twenty name changes for the for the from the original draft of Star Wars to A New Hope, and then eventually becoming A New Hope Episode Six or Episode four. Five. Four. Four. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's, That's a lot. That's the number that comes after three. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have Rogue One in there. That's like right in between, right. leading got, into that story. You got Solo in yep. there somewhere. A Star Wars story. <laughs> then you have the Clone Wars. <laughs> And all that's come show. Rebel One come so far since yeah. then. Yeah. But okay, so those so those are top tier movies. Star Trek, very much sci-fi guy. Then I'm a huge sci-fi guy, and that's how that's what really got me into it in the first place was watching those movies and wanting to do something similar. But mm -hmm. I didn't have a model shop that could make twelve foot wide, you know, starship models with lighting. Well, you, you should have said something. We have one out back. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. The, the model work in Star Wars is insane, especially the first trilogy. It was so cool the way that they, like we were talking about before we started filming this, like sometimes your disadvantages and like a budget or something leads to cool creative decisions you wouldn't have otherwise made. And like the, these models probably save them a ton of money rather than trying to like make it look from nothing. Yeah. It, the construction of those models and I have yet to see them in real life. They're, they go on exhibit every so often. And, oh, my God. Are they like the Smithsonian or? Like... Uh, they they're they I think so. This, this so well, cool. the Smithsonian has the original Enterprise from the original series on display. They light it up like every day at That's a certain time. So cool. But then I want to see that one, too. I haven't seen that one yet. Um, That's like iconic. You know? Yeah, it's like the thing. Uh, and it's still going 50 years later. Like, well, I have to ask you this. If you are like science fiction a lot, what do you think about Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049? Oof. Blade Runner's classic. You can't, I, I just, I'm a, I'm kind of conservative when it comes to where movies are. The older is the better, always. And, you know, what I grew up with is what I like. That's a different perspective, too, because, like, we grew up more with Blade Runner 2049. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not like, it came out when we were already adults, but yeah. like we're pretty, we're closer to uh, 2049 than we are to the original Blade Runner. I that think. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I and you know, I just, I'm a huge Harrison Ford fan. Oh my god! Yeah, such a so yeah. you know, I just like geek out every time he's on screen. I'm like, oh, so yeah. It's funny how <laughs> he's like this. Like he seems like the coolest guy in school, but he became like the god of nerds, like being like Indiana Jones, Han Solo. He's a carpenter, Dick for God's sake. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> he is Jesus. <laughs> like, and yet he became that. <laughs> the savior of the film industry. <laughs> He's just so cool. Like, I, I don't know. I see what they what they saw him for all these characters, but like, if he, he made it work. He's, yeah. he's, he's the man. Yeah. I think his acting in that is just so good in 
all of the various edits they made of that movie. I think there's like five or six edits of the Blade Runner movie. Blade Runner? Yeah. yeah. I don't... Blade Runner, theatrical cut, director's cut. like yeah. And then the director came up with like two other cuts besides that because he keeps changing his vision of the of the film. I don't. I haven't seen all of them. I, I think it's like a long movie, but... Yeah, that's. I think that gives a little far when you've got like so many editions, extended editions. Yeah, Ridley Scott, I think, kind of kind of went too far with the first Blade Runner with all the additional cuts. It's like you kind of got to pick one after a while. Really, a perfectionist, and <laughs> like, and you know, he's not. I mean, no, he is the only director that's ever done that. George Lucas would never uh, release a different edit. <laughs> you know, never. How how do you handle something like that? Because I could do the same thing with my own work where I have maybe not a specific deadline or something and it's just, oh, I can I can make this part a little better or like, let me change some of this here or there. You know, like, how do you know when to like stop? Because CGI, like, it's endless, yeah. you know? Like, at least when, when I'm editing something, like, there is kind of a limit of what I can do with the edit and the footage and the sound and yeah. stuff that I have. But when you're creating it, like, how far do you go? Well, there's, well, there's that. Uh, you, uh, films, what did, what did George Lucas say? Films are not released, they escape. Hmm. Uh, and, he, and I think that really applies to any kind of artwork. Eventually, you have to release it. But yeah. nobody's art is good enough in their own eyes, if they're a good artist, if mm -hmm. they have integrity, I feel, anyway. And for me... There's an added thing that visual effects is always improving. There's always new tools. So you can go back and redo everything oh, from scratch true. and probably do it way better and way faster and way cheaper. <laughs> uh, but when, you know, you know, 10 years ago, what was possible is now easy. But mm -hmm. it was just barely possible back then with the advances they have now. So when I think about it, oof. I would say probably when I have no choice but to. I've yeah. invested so much time that there's so little there's so many diminishing returns now. You're at the point where what am I going to get out of this? And I think like I also I could get it to the point of being so perfectionist. Like back when I released my stupid little thing called Plagaris. It's on YouTube and it was just awful. <laughs> I look back on it and it's awful, but it got so many views. People really liked it. Yeah. But it, it literally, I was just like, whatever it takes to get this thing done is what I'm going to do. And right. I just put it out there, mistakes and all. And it mm -hmm. looks awful. There's so many mistakes. I can't watch it. It's the, the audio's bad. The video's bad. Yeah. The editing's bad. The music's bad. Everything's bad. But it's just me doing all the voice mm -hmm. acting. This was before yeah. you could even... One guy now can make a plethora of voices mm -hmm. from just one performance. He can send it into AI and it can change the voice to be a woman's voice or a kid's voice. Just you can record yourself doing it. You, and it, I don't know if they've gotten to the point where they can change accents, but they're probably going to do that pretty soon, too. So there's so many more tools now available to a filmmaker, amateur filmmaker, that would not available back then. I think something that you said that definitely struck a chord with me, probably with Aaron too, and I imagine with a lot of people who feel like they would describe themselves as creatives, is the relationship between like an artist and perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And it's, I feel like that's kind of in a way like how you would know you're an artist in my opinion, is <laughs> whatever you put out if you hate it. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you, I feel like if you don't critique whatever you did, then you don't really care that much. 
it means you don't want to do it better the next time. So I, I think that you, you put it really smartly and that that's something that a lot of people would identify with. But you also touched on something I wanted to ask you about, which is the relationship now between AI and, and CGI. And do you, has, is it changing anything that you do at your job, making things easier? Do you have reservations about it? How do you feel about it? So obviously, of course, the first time I saw it, I was like, I'm replaced. <laughs> I'm obsolete. Now I got to go back groceries. I was done. I was like, oh, it's the end. And it was like, I was ready to go. Like, Dan Brown. The, uh, the grocery. <laughs> Paper or plastic. You have to make you a know, slight change to the world. Yeah, it's like CGI now. I don't know what it is. Anyway. Dan Brown moving company. Moving <laughs> company. Yeah, yeah. Because I my back is already bad enough. You know, so I don't know. But CGI's can I get your grocery? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so we're very, like, I was very nervous about it. And all my friends were like, oh, this new AI, it's going to be so easy. I can just put in a few buttons. Make movie computer. And the computer's just going to go, yes, master. And then, you know, and really it turned into, I'm sorry, Dave, uh, because it doesn't, re it's limited. It yeah. doesn't have, if you look at them right now, they're kind of cringy and weird. Mm -hmm. It's got AI dream world that they got yeah. going on. Um AI does speed up the process in a lot of ways. Um, mm -hmm. When, for instance, like for an amateur like me who doesn't have a big budget and I just, I'm going on my own time to make something I want to make, uh, I can't hire on a team of professional voice actors, for instance. So the next best thing is I do the performance the way I want and then pump it through an AI to change the voice. So is it, is it the is it the best? Obviously not. Obviously, I would love to get, well, I don't know, uh, Gary Oldman if I could, you know. Wow. But, but, <laughs> I yeah. mean, heck yeah. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine yeah. having <laughs> Gary Oldman be, but, you know, obviously not possible. But it it would be the best you could get. Gary Oldman watches the show. <laughs> he, might have just heard, he might have just heard you. <laughs> But uh, you're no. looking for a new project. <laughs> yeah, right. We got one for you. It's a zero budget, <laughs> by the way. Um, but the thing is, is when you when you think about it, it it's a tool like anything. Yeah. And and I think like when purism gets involved and people say, well, practical effects are always going to be better than VFX, you know, CGI. And they say things like, you know, AI is, is the devil. It'll never, well, it's just another tool to mm -hmm. use. It's, it does speed up the process a great deal. Um, for backgrounds, for instance, you can take, well, I don't like that mountain, scribble it out and tell it, put in a sky and it puts in a sky and gives you options. It's, yeah. it's going to be blurred out. It's going to be in the background. So no one cares. Yeah. And if you're under a crunch, and you have no time, it's great. It's yeah. a great tool. That's but, a, yeah, that's good to know. I feel like, like you said, if, as long as it's a tool, like tools are, you know, tools are used by humans and used by professionals. So, I mean, I think there will still be like a heavy need in those areas. I think there was a lot of fear, like even we, we use AI to generate some of our thumbnails or Aaron uses AI. At least like to, to generate, not to creating it to look how I want it yeah. to, or like our, our poster for our short film over here none of that that's not a picture it's all ai and layers of pictures and stuff even and the focal blur everything 
That's really good. So there's just a bunch of different masks oh, and yeah. layers and, you know, like I started with a little picture of the shovel from like probably here down. And then I just redid everything to make it look like Florida in the background. I added in other trees that I wanted in there and stuff like that. Like, like you said, it's, it's a tool and we, I use it a lot. Like even editing, like masking something, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, like now that there's AI masking, you can just kind of highlight, like you were saying, like the mountain or the tree or whatever, yeah. it masks it out. Now I can color grade just that, or I can, I can put text behind it and it saves so much time. But I think, you know, I think if you ask the layman to create what you have, what you've done with the poster, it would be very intimidating. So I think it's still, there's still a need for the professionals in the field. Mm -hmm. Like I, if you ask the average person on the street, here's the AI program, recreate that poster. They, they just wouldn't be able to do it. Right. So there's still the need for people to use the tool. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And hopefully that's, ho hopefully that is, and, stays the course. <laughs> and someone with an eye. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a very good poster. Well, so uh, yeah, but uh, I'm not just saying that it's really good, but oh you had an eye, but you had an eye for it, right? Which means, you know, just the computer spewing out stuff. And sometimes it's really crazy stuff that comes out. Oh, yeah. You know, obviously, it would not be any good, right? You know, or acceptable. So it took takes a like you said, an end user or somebody who's going to be there, the professional who knows what looks good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, curating it, right? Yeah. With like an artistic eye. And I mean, and we've talked about this on the show before too, just wanting like, wanting that artistic eye there in the sense that like, we want to see art made by humans. Like we want the artistic flourish of a human. We don't want these AI generated scripts that are produced and they're like, Soulless. do you want a cup of coffee? Yeah. <laughs> like the, the AI, it's just not there to know how people really talk. And like, you watch a movie with an incredible, incredible script like Social Network and you're just like, well, they have like an element to it and it's a human element that like make like draws you in that, like this a script with a, a good soul, you know. Um, but I had a, another question I wanted to ask you, Dan. Um, we talked about this briefly when Oppenheimer came out about um, the difference between CGI and special effects and there being a limited CGI in the movie Oppenheimer. So what in broad terms can you tell us in the audience kind of what cgi is versus special effects like what are the two and and what's the difference so special effects is an older term in hollywood they i guess they kind of go for visual effects now mm -hmm. uh special effects would be um like on set when they had an explosion or something like that these were called special effects whereas and and they had model shops and stuff but they kind of, over the years, VFX have kind of taken over that terminology. Now Now it's kind of more like visual effects. And when you have a visual effects artist, that can encompass anything. All the tools, from model shops to matte painters, anything that, that's a visual effect. Whereas CGI is computer-generated imagery. So it's like, the, like Jar Jar Binks is CGI. Yeah. He is made in a computer and then animated in a computer, rendered using a computer program, and then he's composited later into the scene. That would be CGI. So CGI is a form of special effects or visual effects, um, but visual effects kind of is like an all-encompassing term, okay. referencing or special effects, if you want to use the older term, but it's kind of the same. Okay, so like Reservoir Dogs, the, they use fake blood. That's a visual effect. It's something... Yeah, I, 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 ooh, that's a good one. Um, 
See, I would call that kind of a special effect. It's kind of weird how the terms kind of cross each other. There's practical mm -hmm. effects. Yeah. Know, practical to visual. To <clears throat> well, practical effects are part of a visual effect. Okay. So, Subset. yeah, it's, it's all of it's kind of like visual effects house is would be ILM. Industrial Light and Magic produces visual effects. Uh, it's a visual effects studio. And so you have, but they have multiple departments inside. They have a computer department. They have a model shop. They have an animatronic shop. They have a puppetry studio, you know, sort of thing. And puppetry. Would you say like VFX is like something that's tangible that like you can touch or and CGI is like all just computer or they kind of blur? They, they also VFX, uh, practical effects would be something you can touch. Mm -hmm. Like if, you know, Iron Man's mask or something, if they, yeah. and they, they also made a, CGI version of Iron Man's mask. So there were on-set versions, there were models they, that were built, and there were there was a CGI version of the entire suit. Um, practical effects are something you can touch. It exists in the real world. It's tangible. Uh, CGI is something that exists solely in a computer. Mm -hmm. And then very cool. And then there's like a blur, but kind of in between of between those things okay yeah like visual effects or special effects would be an all-encompassing term to kind of like it's everything's in that package so gotcha. you can it depends on the tool there are multiple tools that produce visual effects but in the end they're all just special effects they're all just visual effects okay very cool very uh, interesting. i feel like this is a good transition into a movie that did a lot of practical mm -hmm. and digital mm -hmm. effects and they did so 30 years ago mm -hmm. and that's jurassic park mm -hmm. um i literally watched this three days ago <laughs> and it looks so good and for those of you listening no it wasn't my first time <laughs> watching it three <laughs> days ago but yeah it still looks so good today let me pull it up here make sure that the audio isn't blasting at us is this movie supposed to be good or yeah, you haven't heard of it? <laughs> it's got some dinosaurs. This is my favorite Steven Spielberg movie. I'm sure I've said that before. Really? Yeah. Oh. It's in my it's in my top ten movies of all time. That is beautiful. Every movie's in your top ten movies all the time. So we can even start it over here. Let's move that out of the way. Oh. Okay. Is that gonna stay there the whole time? My top ten movies. I know we're doing an episode on that here shortly. So this is a T-Rex scene yeah. where he's coming to attack the vehicles now, I've said outside before. the exhibit. I've said this before, but I think it is just brilliant. Like Not only the combination of special and practical effects in this scene, which is like the marquee scene of the movie in mm -hmm. my eyes, um, where the, the big unveil of the main dinosaur in the movie, mm -hmm. but the use of darkness and the use of rain to obscure any kind of imperfections that the viewer might catch, mm -hmm. and then it just comes out perfect, you know? It's like they are so perfectly able to hide any area where they lack the ability to do something mm -hmm. that you you don't notice that there would have been anything they couldn't do. It, they might as well have had a giant T-Rex yeah. scene the way they accomplished it. And just look at the creativity of the angles, like, not like that that shot makes you feel the scale but it's also super creative it puts you in the car looking up at this beast it makes you feel the height and size of the monster it makes you feel the fear of the kids in the car like and all of that is due to like the effects team on this movie like it's it 
what kills me about this scene is the like the marrying of practical with CG. It's it's now you can tell the difference, but back then you couldn't when you were watching this for the first time. You can tell the difference. I would assume that I would assume that shot in the car is practical, right? Because like the body of it's obscured, you see the face roaring. Yeah, that seems like they had a practical yeah. T Rex head there. Yeah, this like is Universal practical. Studios. Yeah, uh, and then there's a CG shot coming up. Anytime you see it full walking, yeah, I'd imagine when, like, mm -hmm. when it broke through the gate. Practical, and it's like you don't notice a difference between the two because of practical. the way they cut it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the the movement of it. Yeah, you can tell, tell that it's kind of puppet animatronic. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's cut. I feel like it's cut quick enough, and the angles are used in a way to hide that. Yeah, unless you're really totally looking agree. for it. They're editing around the the imperfections, but that's that's CG. Yeah. Yep. But it looks so good for thirty years ago. Yeah. Also, there's movies that are coming out today that don't look that good. One thing we always praise practical effects for is the ability of the actors to actually physically interact with what they're supposed mm -hmm. to be afraid of or responding to. Like these kids reacting to the animatronics mm -hmm. is so cool to see. They also don't make child actors like this anymore. No. <laughs> no. The ones that they terrified the kids probably in real life to get them to scream unbelievably. <laughs> That's the only Kubrick treatment. Yeah, right? <laughs> so there's this, you mentioned the rain which is a big selling point, not because necessarily it hides imperfections, but actually because it adds to the scene. Um, when you want to make something believable, watch as his feet hit the ground here, the splashes. Oh. What's happening here is those are things that you don't really notice at first, but it's selling it to you subliminally subconsciously you're getting this scene sold to you you believe mm -hmm. it so it's interacting with a real world you, you feel the weight of the t-rex you right. feel the speed of the t-rex yeah. yeah the attention to detail is absolutely mind-boggling like when she points the flashlight in its eye and the pupil shrinks mm -hmm. i'm it's literally like they they have the environment not like you said the environment responding to the t-rex and the t-rex responding to the environment it's like a two-way relationship that like you said subconsciously our mind picks up every day when we see humans like if you blew on some birthday candles and they didn't go out it would be like well that's a glitch in the matrix or like, <laughs> the flame didn't move but like they're like you said they're marrying the mm -hmm. relationship between environment and creature to actually sell it to us yeah and 1993 Mm -hmm. My goodness, I love this movie to death. Interesting fact about this entire sequence is ILM was transitioning at this time between the model shop and practical. So the Pixar computer had just been built around mm -hmm. this time. And so the computer department was gaining momentum and traction. And they would, Steven Spielberg and the, re the producers were wondering, are we going to do it in practical? with guys in suits, with animatronics, what are we gonna do? So they built both, both departments were working simultaneously on it. And interesting thing is they ended up kind of marrying the two. Mm -hmm. They showed a lot of practical in certain circumstances and they did this a lot CG, but almost all the dinosaur scenes ended up being a lot of CG. And that was when the model department knew they were done. And it's really sad, actually, to see them recount the times. Uh, several people quit 
ILM during this time uh, because the computer department took over. They got the lion's share of the funding. Uh, but they ended up, what they ended up doing was using the animatronic model as a motion capture mm -hmm. for the movement of wow. the 3D uh, CGI. So there's still an element of reality here. There has to be. Because that's the biggest problem with CG is it floats. There's a lot of smooth curves and computers like to pass things through each other and they don't like things impacting. They like to just move things around. Oh God. And so, <laughs> and then not there yet. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we haven't braced ourselves, that's right. ourselves yeah. mentally and emotionally for that. Man, that, that is unfortunate for like departments to go under like that. Um, and then, you know, I hope a lot of those people were able to kind of adapt and adjust and find a niche and like. And these were geniuses. Like the model department and the animatronics and puppetry department in ILM back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, like uh, like E.T., right? Yeah. I mean, that's a puppet. Yoda was a puppet. Yoda was Some a of the puppet. most iconic characters we've ever Jabba seen. Jabba the Hutt these was people. originally a puppet. Operated like by three guys. It's insane. And so, I mean, I think that really goes down to the computers made it easy, easier mm -hmm. and faster. And that was really what sold them. Cheaper, I'd imagine, too. Cheaper. Yeah. Maybe not like right away, but definitely eventually cheaper. Mm -hmm. you, you can't make it. One of the biggest drawbacks to the, to the uh, practical T-Rex was it, it, making it run. Yeah. How do you make it run? Whereas CG, they did it. Mm -hmm. They could show it full body. And... How do you make it jump from the balcony right. <laughs> onto that sw yeah. swinging dinosaur bones, you know? You look at the first Alien movie, I mean, the um, the Xenomorph is a puppet, and it does not, to me, to my eyes now, see, watching it as an adult, I didn't see it when it first came out, didn't see it as a kid. So to my eyes now, it's like, man, it is hard to be afraid of this monster. The way it moves is so, like, unnaturally yeah. clunky. Well, they had a skinny guy in it, too. Like, there was a guy inside the thing. And when you see it, you can tell. Like, mm -hmm. it's really obvious. I mean, again, I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to contend with the purists who, who prefer practical over VFX, uh, over CGI. Practical VFX have their place, but CGI does, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people stamp their feet and get really mad when they go, well, practical's always better. Well, yeah, but try that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that this, this, this would have been a stop motion scene like the Rancor pit in Return of the Jedi. Mm. Which is evidently different from the rest of the clips around it when you watch it. Yeah, it's clearly different. And in this case, they were able to, without a lot of green screening, a lot of, they just got the, they just plopped that character into the, the, the two, you know, dinosaurs into the scene mm -hmm. in post and it looks good. And it's just crazy how well it holds up. Like mm -hmm. the scene in particular in the kitchen yeah. um, with the raptors chasing the kids is one of the most iconic scenes in science fiction. It's one of the most iconic, like scenes of uh, building suspense across mm -hmm. movies. And they built that suspense with like puppets for the most part. I mean... And, and then for, like you said, the, the wider shots of the raptors really moving. It's so cool. It's it's so fascinating. I mean, the, the everything down to, like, the breath of these animals. Like, the T-Rex is 
nostrils blow the hat off Alan Grant's head or mm -hmm. like the breathing of the raptor in the kitchen scene as the kids are like trying to hold their breath and be motionless. Mm -hmm. It's like that movie has so much love poured into it from every department that worked on it. And it holds up in a like a way that like uh, just a spirit of adventure like and fun in a movie, but still so like thrilling. I think a lot of it, you just kind of hit on the head about what makes good visual effects is time. There's plenty of time. The artists have time to work on it. And also they really are engaged with the fidelity. They want it to succeed. Mm -hmm. And those guys at ILM were highly motivated on that movie to make a good movie. Um, and so because of that, it stands up to this day. They made history. They made history. Like, the, I mean, it's some of the earliest CGI in a film, and yet it's really good. Like, to this day, it stands up. Like, there was a guy on YouTube I watched who tried to improve it using modern, you know, computers. And he could do it faster. He did it in a day. The same shot that would have taken yeah. months on, you know, back in 1992, whenever they were making the thing. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is, is it didn't look as good. Like, I was like... But he did point out some things that I had never seen because the scene is going by so fast. It's, right. dar it's darkly lit, you know, so yeah. it's hard to see. But he pointed out a couple things. I'm like, oh, those are some mistakes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but it was limitations at the time. The technology was limited. The yeah. artist's vision really carried it through. So kind of going back to what Andrew was talking about, how the dinosaurs are interacting with the people and the set and how you're talking about like the rain and, and feeling the weight of the dinosaurs like, what goes into making all of that happen? Like how much planning is involved, you know, between like the CGI department and the directors and producers and the best. And in this case, that, that's why it ended up so good. The VFX house was involved from the beginning. Uh, Steven Spielberg, you know, got the script and he wanted it a certain way. This is what I want. And the VFX guys were in the meetings. Mm -hmm. So there's like obviously communication. This is what's possible. This is what's not possible. Working closely with the director and producers um, every step of the way. I think communication and cooperation are the biggest things between departments that make successful movies. Anyway, regardless of even we're focusing on VFX, but that's any movie as yeah. long as the teams are working together to produce it. Uh, that and... Going into it, knowing what shots are going to be the big ones, uh, the ones that are the iconic shot. We just saw it where the dino, where the T-Rex was roaring and the flag was falling down, that, that iconic shot in the middle of the ruined, you know, museum. Mm -hmm. It's like time economy, right? It's like, am I going to be busting my ass on something that's going to be a cut in three seconds? Yeah. Or am I going to do this marquee shot that is going to be the staple of the movie? Right. So in that case, I would have definitely put your best artists on those shots and and again the other thing is you're working in a team there are hundreds of people working on this because one guy could never produce that kind of right it's just impossible so i think talented artists working together it sounds kind of cliche but <laughs> it, that's the biggest thing is cooperation and, and i feel like that's hard like it's it's easy to say like hey if everyone just works together we can make the best product I feel like that's not normally the case of how it ends up working out, yeah. you know? like You hear all these horror stories that they're like, the they put a, a release date or something, producers are like, oh, this movie needs to be out in the summer. This is a summer release. And they're like, okay, but you're giving it to us like in April, in, yeah. 
in May, like you want it to you want it to be ready for June? Like that's that's ludicrous. It's you know? impossible. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think that they talk about like you said, like the communication factor, movies like um like Avatar. I think that James Cameron is making like weekly trips, if not more often, to the special effects team to make sure that like and it, uh, the key really to most film success is going to be like a good director, somebody because that person is like the person who sets the tone and decides the communication between everybody. You know, they might not they might not be like able to make everything work by themselves. Of course, they can't. But if they don't work, then it seems like everything else is going to have a hard time working. Yeah, I feel like the director and the studio that's making the movie, you know. Studio needs to just produce, to just give the money. Yeah. And the director. Um, but it doesn't work like it that. It doesn't work. Like you know? yeah. <laughs> They're like, well, honey, you're spending on the money. Yeah. I manage everything. And like, Stop it. <laughs> you know, leave the artists to do their thing. Yeah. But, Let them cook. Yeah, right? You <laughs> Let have to, them cook. Once you, like, pick the artist, the, the director, the like, the people in all these roles, who you picked, you should have picked them because you trusted them, right. you know? Not because you wanted to watch over them. How, do, how does it work for... A lot of your personal projects, you know, like like client work and stuff. Like, are you typically involved from the beginning? Try to be, or is it, like it after the fact? And um, people are like, "Hey, can you put this into this scene? Yeah. It's already all edited." Like Aaron will, t like Aaron talks about how like, oh, that old classic joke. If you're editing something, like uh, they we'll want do it in post. They want to like change, yeah. or like they want to like change something. They want to change the song. It's like, all right, that changes literally the entire video. Mm -hmm. Probably, I imagine the same thing for you. They want to change something. It's going to like ricochet. Yeah, it's about, again, communicating clearly to the client. Hey, we could change this, but it's it's going to completely redo everything I've done because this simulation was took three days to bake, you know. Which should change the price. <laughs> yeah, it would change the price. Yeah. Um, when it comes to what you said about... Um, I'm usually in post-production. I usually come in after. I like to be involved in the project from the beginning. Those are yeah. the most successful is when um, you're involved from the start with the creative team. You're not just an add-on at the end. Hey, well, oh, by the way, we got to bring in the VFX artist. Well, I'll find somebody. Um, yeah. and, uh, and then you get all this stuff that... Well, why did you not shoot in front of a green screen? Oh, well, you can do that. You just roto around the guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. You know, like... AI can do that now, yeah, right? Right, yeah. Is it very quickly apparent to you, whether you get something like in post or get early on, if it's going to be like, oh, they planned for me to do this yeah. well or they didn't plan? Yeah. It's usually, like, even in the initial meetings, it's gotten to the point where you can start figuring it out after a few after it's not my first rodeo and uh, i'm like oh these people have no idea goody or or i've been on a number of parts like i worked with sean kennedy who made the tiger in life and a life of pie and yeah that's a that's, that's a resume okay. name drop I, yeah name drop. I'm that guy's name he brought me on on this project and the project was kind of weird but working with him that is a professional, a Hollywood professional. He knows what he's doing and he's exceptionally good artist. He knows his stuff. And I remember working with him and I was like, oh man, this guy is really good. Like he understood, I communicated, the communication was simple, easy. Um, he was accommodating, he knew what was gonna, what was gonna cost what. 
that was a great project to work on. And I just was responsible for building a spaceship and it was bank. It was a nice little budget. And I liked mm -hmm. it. It was a good, one of my earlier jobs. That's probably a big factor too, is like the ignorance aspect. Like that's somebody who knows a lot and other people who don't necessarily plan for you well probably are obviously not like malicious in there. It's, it's like the ignorance of knowing. They just don't know. Yeah. You to do something. I feel like people see it on tv and movies and they're just assumed since it looks so good that it's just easy yeah uh, people assume that about just editing or making videos in general let alone creating something that's not real right yeah <laughs> i can imagine it's, it's it's again going back to it you know who you're talking to and they know what they're doing yeah or they have no clue and they're like and usually those are the ones that i dread working for because they have no idea what things cost right like, well you could do that for 100 bucks right hundred bucks. I can't even turn them on my computer. For right. Yeah, that, that's the push on the button. Key. Yeah. No, that's horrible. But, uh, it's not quite. They're like, I want you to make, I want you to make me a new Star Wars movie. I want yeah. you to make Star Wars 10. Okay. I have a hundred bucks. Oh, you're touching a nerve. You're touching a nerve. Okay. I have to say this to anyone listening. You are not the next George Lucas. Please don't do that. Don't do that to your guy. Like, oh, I'll, I'll give you coverage. I'll promote you. Like, uh, that doesn't work. You know, yeah. George Lucas went to film school and he came in at the right time. Yeah. It, he was he was friends with Francis Ford Coppola and, so and cool. Steven Spielberg. They all came from the same generation of filmmakers that the Hollywood was changing. Yeah. It was going from this dark. I call it the dark ages of Hollywood, the late 60s, early 70s, where just like the old houses were closing. And you have this new group of directors coming in, and they just fell into it. It was ready for their minds. And like, I was just watching Brian Cranston talk about this, where like, he's like, you can be the most talented, the most well-prepared, the most hardworking, but the element that a lot of people don't talk about in creativity and show business is luck. Mm -hmm. And you can have all those things and not have luck and not go anywhere. So that's definitely a big aspect of it, too. Francis Ford Coppola, I forgot to talk about this in our episode about upcoming projects. Um, I think he has a movie coming out this year. Um, it's been in the works for a very long time. I think over a decade. Wow. Um, Any idea you know, what it's called? Megalopolis. Yeah, I've seen this. Yeah, Adam Driver is supposed to star in it. And it's, I think it's about like a modernized world where the Roman Empire never fell. So it's like, oh, that's cool. Everyone has like Caesar hair. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Yeah. <laughs> At least five times a day before breakfast. Just every time I think about Gladiator, which is like once every couple days at least. Yeah. Every time you see yourself in the mirror, think of Gladiator. Yeah, just... I'm like, I am Maximus Decimus. I am Maximus Decimus Meridius. I love that. I love that quote. Uh, to to pivot back, no, no, bring fine. us back. I was going to start quoting, "Am I not merciful?" I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I'll have my vengeance in this life or the next. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the hardest movie quotes. Like, come on, it's, that is a you know you the, yeah. So so when a client is approaching you, what are some of the considerations that you? try to let them know or like let's say we're starting a new project you know and it's dan we want to have a scene with cgi and stuff what do we need to do to make this be the best that it can be what's your budget <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the number one um number two uh would be can you do it for less because nine times out of ten everyone wants 
every shot in the thing to have VFX. They want everything. And it's usually down to you can either have a lot of crappy VFX shots or you can have one really good one. Which sure. do you prefer? Yeah. And usually it turns into let's just do one shot that's really good. Mm -hmm. Because of, especially for independent film budget, it's so small and it's not going to make it. Uh, as opposed to... If it's a bigger budget film, again, the same question. What is your VFX budget? And then how much time do we have? Because mm -hmm. it's all about time and money, uh, really, is what it comes down to. Like Jurassic Park, they had a lot of money. It's a big blockbuster. And it was one of the highest, you know, it's one of the biggest budget films of its time. I think, I don't even know what it would be today, inflation adjusted. It'd probably be one a very expensive movie. But they had plenty of money and plenty of time, and they had a great team working on it. So that's what I would want to know, is time, money, and who's the team? What about the uh, technical side of it? You know, like... How does lighting play? How does, you know, like camera movement play? Ooh. Like how, how, how does all of that like factor into like what, what you can do or how much more complex it makes the shot or the composite yeah. or whatever? Like, oh man, what are so some many. of the technical oh, my, considerations? So many things. Is it indoors? Um, lighting camera motion is the big one. Uh, if you have to match move a shot live action with cgi the slightest float is going to be instantly noticeable people will be taken up like like that and then you know and what do you mean by float it's when <laughs> when you match move something like today i was doing a shot of the grand canyon moving and i was putting some text on the on it just as a test mm -hmm. and i was putting some buildings down and they slid mm. so slightly but it immediately destroyed the effect it look obviously, you know. Yeah. So they have to be static, and it has to look like the, the drone is flying over the buildings yeah. that are on the on the on the Grand Canyon. Speaking of floats, do you feel like there's a phenomenon with CGI from viewers where our brains are trained to when something looks good to merely accept it? rather than applaud it and when something looks bad our brain automatically <laughs> oh thank you it. oh you've made my day <laughs> so yeah usually and that is the thankless job of any vfx artist when you've done your job right no one notices mm -hmm. we talk about that a lot with with sound with sound design like a good foley artist or something their job is like you'll never know they were there mm -hmm. it really is all about being subject to the story and it really comes down to you're the unsung hero if you did it right if you did it wrong you will be villain number one not and, all heroes wear capes yeah <laughs> no capes but <laughs> we the thing is is <laughs> another great animated film agreed oh my goodness <laughs> the references oh that's so good but it, it just yeah you can become a real villain real quickly you don't want your name you don't want your name to be known as a vfx artist speaking of villains <laughs> we have some villainous scenes to queue up before we pull those up i do want to say thank you to anyone who clicked on this video we really appreciate you it means a ton 
It would mean a lot, too, if you have the time to follow us, to subscribe, and make sure you don't miss any of our awesome content. Hit that notification bell. We do put out uh, multiple videos every week, Monday and Thursday. We put out episodes every single week, and we post on all of our social media platforms as well. It's a big mouthful. Um, so good. Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, everything, we, we post daily on those. So make sure not to miss any of that stuff. Yeah, make sure you hit that subscribe button so we can keep bringing on awesome guests like Dan. <laughs> While we're Thank promoting, you. too, we do need to remember to show Dan's page. I don't know if you showed oh, it. Oh, yeah. Already. Here, let's uh, get that up right now. So this is Dan's website. We got danbrowncgi.com. Uh, For all of your CGI book, artistry needs. Book him today. Oh, man. That's He's <laughs> Some of my dated stuff here. We're, we were talking about Dan's website and portfolio before the show and how um, when you're busy as a freelance contractor, like you don't have a lot of time to update and work on personal things like this. But so, being busy, too, is a good problem to have. Right. You know, as, in a sense. In a sense. Yeah. Half the stuff that you're looking at was just personal projects I didn't get paid for. So, yeah. Oh, all right. I thought we were talking about the villain. <laughs> this, this is the villain. <laughs> this is the villain of the CGI world. See, this is another thing where I will say, like, I can commend them for, like, I can commend them conceptually. Outside of the laughable nature that babies had to be falling out of the sky. Conceptually, like, this hospital falling apart and him having to do, like, a minute or save. Sounds like a cool idea, I'm thinking. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Come on, guys. I can't even look. <laughs> oh, tell me when it's over. No, it's... We, we gotta replay that. Oh, it's. <laughs> watch this. Watch this baby right here, right in front of us. Jump. <laughs> it's almost like they were worried. You know how at the end of the movie it'd be like, no babies and animals were harmed? Yeah. It's almost like they were worried. Like, we don't want them to think they're real babies. Let's make sure they don't look real. So, what, what's going on? I mean, first, the story, right? Like. Yeah. Um, putting the artists in this situation to begin with it's impossible not to make it look ridiculous it's so over the Oof. top um it's like goofy looking but there's fall. a bunch of other slow motion scenes in other movies for yeah. a speedster that look really good like why is this one not hold up to those other scenes you know so this movie hit the <laughs> <laughs> hit the reddit Look, so bad <laughs> oh, a bunch of knives flying at the baby acid that... it's just <laughs> it's comical like it's designed to be comical i think they had to go that route to to try and save it like save the table oh yeah, i just feel yeah. like it's what? look at his face oh, so he doesn't that's my one of my issues with the movies a lot of times his head looks disconnected from his body with them kind of floating like you were saying like yeah. something shifts weird the jaw movement looks strange when you compare it with like there's no motion in the shoulders and the oh this is so this is a lot of this is writer um yeah i agree too right it's the whole just... concept putting the baby in the microwave that's an interesting <laughs> solution um it also probably doesn't help too that the entire scene is not real it's not like i mean oh my goodness um <laughs> this is painful so these so this entire scene is just an example in the movie of 
Look at that. Oh. Of I think we need to pause this because I really want to hear what Dan has to it's say. So it's so distracting. Keep shocking. It's, it's just shocking. I'd never have seen this movie. I couldn't watch it. So it was it was one of those things where oh will it corrupt me? Uh, I'll become worse than I than I am. And I'm trying to get better, not worse. What I will say to you in defense of this movie is this is probably the lowest low of the movie. This is probably yeah. rock bottom. I don't know the last scene from what I heard and saw. Oh my yeah. gosh, the scenes where he's in like the time vortex. Yeah. Yeah, that's... that might be maybe worse. <laughs> it's They ran out of time. Conceptually, it's a little better than this, though. Right. Yeah, at least... <laughs> the idea concept. of it was the better. Idea, the idea of that is cool. Yeah. Like, there's all these potential realities or what have right. you. Right. So I feel bad for the artists who had to be on this film. Well, then their name goes on it when they had no time, and everyone's criticizing them. Yeah, and this is what we were talking about yeah. earlier, the villain. Mm -hmm. um, if, they had, if they had had a better chance... And in this case, this is the thing is, you know how many movies, DC and Marvel movies, are slated to be released in the next five years? Too many. Too many. <laughs> There's a lot of them. And too many for multiple reasons. Another reason is that they're splitting. They, ha they factor in how much money they anticipate making on this. So they're counting on this movie making, you know, pulling in profit maybe – $250 million? Minimum they were hope, hope. Well, this this movie in particular, I can tell you, is probably the most, in my mind, the most expensive movie ever made. And they, they won't say that because the budget, I think, is less than that $200 million. But this movie had l three rounds of reshoots oh and was God. made over... It was planned over a series of like twelve years and made over a series of what, like maybe eight. Mm -hmm. So like, how he was you, cast what back in two thousand fourteen or something? How did you get it done for two hundred million when you also got Multiverse of Madness done for two hundred million? You know, like mm -hmm. it just doesn't line up, and, and they never want to release a number if they're gonna make way less than that. Yeah, which they did. They made way less. I and that was the thing was, the production had problems from the beginning. Right there, it was a cursed movie from the beginning. But then you have the issue of you got to, they're superheroes. It's all VFX. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody runs that fast. And what are you going to do? Show like a slow motion, like the, the $6 million man, da, 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 slow <laughs> mo you know, it's so that will never laugh. That won't, modern audiences will just laugh it off the screen, which they ended up doing anyway. But I, I think about those poor artists got stuck with that. And ooh. <laughs> keep going. Uh, keep going. Uh, you found some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you saw, I didn't even. I forgot about this. <laughs> um, oh lord! But so they, those poor artists got stuck with a scene, with a movie that they didn't have time, they didn't have money, and some of the shots were talked about that. Some of those shots they joked were looked like they were done in a week and. Uh, you know, actually, they probably were done in a week. Right. Like, there's no way you can produce good VFX that way in anything, whether it's practical or CGI. And the CGI got the bad end of this, the short end of the stick because it's CGI. But in reality, any kind of effects would have been terrible in that kind of time crunch. There's just no way they could have produced. So that it was doomed really from the beginning when they had the budget shortfalls, they had the time crunch, they had the constant reshoots, and that puts back because you can't do the post while principal photography is still going on. Mm -hmm. So that pushes your deadline up 
and keeps crunching that time. And then you can't hire 10 million artists from around the world to work on one project. There's just no feasible way you can manage that many people. Yeah. But the, the criticism tends to, does tend to fall in CGI instead of falling on the director in the studio who yeah. should have been working in tandem to make sure that this production was a lot smoother. Yeah. I, I feel like in that scene in particular, something that really kind of pulls it back as someone who doesn't work in CGI, but is that everything was just computer generated. Yeah. So there, there was nothing to ground any of the effects that were going on. Unlike this scene here that we're about to watch uh, from Days of Future Past, which we've watched and reacted to this a number of times on the show already. Um, but this is a good example of slow motion, speedster, but also it's, some of it's real. Some like, you know, like they, they, they mixed reality practical effects with visual effects yeah, like right now i feel like he's really in the shot with a giant fan of some kind blowing on him i would imagine mm -hmm. yeah like when you're watching this dan what are you seeing that's done really well in this scene it is done really so the whole scene's premise from the beginning is good it's a funny scene so right there the writing is well done and i think that does a lot because it's all working together right he's mm -hmm. a funny character He's making this guy punch himself. So you're not focused on the CG so much. There is a lot of CG going here. Sure. Uh, that knife is fake. The bullets obviously are fake. Everything hanging in the air is fake. Uh, the rain is fake. That's real. And then... Moving the bullets, obviously. I like that he waits to the last second to do that. <laughs> it's really hilarious. And and then you're back to regular speed. It's just fantastic. It, it, but again, this is what I was getting at, was everything from start to finish is a cohesive team effort. The VFX supervisor was on set. He might have even seen the script before even principal photography so they were they were planning this shot mm -hmm. all the this whole sequence of shots from the beginning to make it work that makes it much better they had a nice budget they had and and also they had good writing as opposed to the idea of babies falling out of a crashing building yeah this is a really funny scene what i'm hearing from you that i think sounds important is that in this scene everything that is stationary is real and then the things that are moving are fake the rain objects falling through the air like the knives the bullets so that that way like things that are moving they, they can control because it's time relative to time right. since they're moving and falling mm -hmm. and then things that are stationary you just don't have to worry about them they look real yeah and it's just about making them look like they're in the same environment which is less variables than like everything in the flash scene is moving yeah everything the people the babies the debris in the sky and then it's like now everything's fake yeah and, in, in Days of Future Past, there's a stage that's real. Right. Opposed to yeah. falling through the sky in the flash, everything was... It was all just a CGI fest. Yeah. And at that point, you don't have any reality to ground it in. Right. Um, again, if you're going to make an animated film, make it animated. <laughs> if you're going to make a live action film... Don't replace an entire scene with CG. It, I'm, yeah, I'm a big proponent of what you just said. It's like 
why not make it animated? There seems to almost be like a stigmatism, not stigmatism. A stig I always do. Like, <laughs> I can't see. There's a stigma around animation, but why make it animated? If you if you want if you want yeah. to do it that way, mm -hmm. animated movies are fantastic. Yeah, some of the best movies ever made. And the Flash would have been way better as an animated film because then that baby. It scene, is. Yeah. You got Flashpoint Paradox. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, you're right. Yeah, but. It shows you how much I follow the, the <laughs> yeah. universes nowadays. But you know, you. But that scene, that baby scene, actually would have worked in an mm -hmm. animated film because it's comical. I could have seen right. it working. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would in that context. I could see it working. Whereas if you're making it into a into a live action film, it's supposed to be a live action film. It, people expect a little more seriousness out of it, and that scene came off as almost comedic in how over the top it really is. A nursery falling out of a skyscraper. Yeah. 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 It's like, like you're just trying to think of the most crazy, like, thing you can think of to make people worry. Babies falling out of the sky. <laughs> a little bit far. Even just the realism of, like, the physics and stuff that was happening. You know, like, in, in the Days of Future Past, he's running through the rain. It looks like the rain is reacting to him when he touches the knife or moves the bullet. Like, it's reacting to him. But then in the flash, when the baby was falling out, like just tipping over, the baby jumped yeah. from its back. Yeah. Like how that can't happen in real life, you know? So it kind of pulls you out of the scene even before you understand the like comedy aspect of like, this is weird. And that is a It big, looks weird first. Yeah. It immediately takes you out because it enters yeah. what we call Uncanny Valley. And where the... And that is the worst thing for an artist to be in is that's why some of the best character animators are those who have like skills in dancing or mm. sports. They understand kinesiology. They understand how the human body works. They understand physics. And it's a huge advantage for character animators to understand that a lot of this hand animation you see is kind of going away. It's kind of, it's now motion capture suits, those weird like skin tight suits people wear that, you know, we have the little dots on them yeah. and the weird thing on their face is how they get it now. And that at least lends weight to the character as it walks. Mm. But like going back to Jurassic Park, that T-Rex was a, a, the, the animation of him walking or running was actually done using uh, using the animatronic they were they they put little i think they put little sensors on it and they were able to this is 1992 guys <laughs> they were able to do that they're using blows my mind right they, <laughs> these guys came up with this this lends to like how impressive the movie was you saying like the having a frame of reference helps mm -hmm. because we how much of a frame of reference do we have for how a t-rex or a raptor moves and they had to make us like believe that when they didn't have like no videos of a, of a raptor hunting its prey. Um, but it also another cool anecdote related to what you said. Um, we talked about this on our Blue-Eyed Samurai episode. Is that Have you seen this animated show on Netflix? No. Oh, it's a really cool show. It's so good. It takes place in uh, like feudal Japan. And the the director, the art director for the show. Jane Wu. She took the whole like cast of or the whole crew of animators out and like had them do uh, like a quick class on like martial arts and holding weapons Perfect. and like. Yeah, they, there's behind-the-scenes video of them, like, with the sword and stuff. Yeah. Seeing how the clothes from the era moves, how the weapons move. So, such, like, It's brilliant. like they, they can feel what they have to create. And I thought that was so cool. 
some of the stuff you saw, like you would see weird things in animation houses back in the day. And I think probably still today where the animators would get up from their desk and they would actually act out the scene. Mm -hmm. They had mirrors that they would look at as they did the scene. There's a scene where in episode two, uh, uh, the attack of the clones where Yoda points, it's just his hand pointing. But the, 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 the lady who was responsible for animating just that one shot of Yoda, you see her doing that pointing motion with her finger, and then she would do it again. And she's just completely in the zone. That's cool. And it's just one, it's a, it's a two-second shot at most. And yeah. yet she spent that much time watching her own finger. She had it from different angles. She had a mirror on their desk. So that kind of real world stuff really does sell it more than, um, you know, special shaders or yeah. subsurface scattering. We got to make the subsurface scattering better, you know, like, well, yeah, you can get to that point where it looks physically real, but it floats. The it's motion is the telling. motions is telling you. Yeah. I think that finding the, the team of animators on Finding Nemo, like went on like a like a field trip together and mm -hmm. uh or maybe even like they went on a vacation and like went somewhere i remember hearing a story just to watch the movement of fish mm -hmm. like to to capture that in the movie or even like james cameron and all the research that he did for like titanic which i'm sure also led into being able to do avatar way of water you know like andorra and i'm sure yeah. Observe the Navi it was for so expensive. Months. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, what are the trips to Pandora yeah, nowadays? Trip, yeah, you got to go in the winter. <laughs> no one goes there in the winter. But reference is uh, yeah very valuable mm -hmm. uh, for an artist, even like comic artists. Yeah, you know, like when I was making my comic or whatever, I would take pictures of the pose that I would want mm -hmm. and then draw it out based off of that picture, rather than just trying to come of it with my mind. You know, and I'd imagine that helps you as well right in your does. tasks references are a big deal actually that would be something i would ask like okay. a client is what you got for references if i have to build something i, I you're you're staring at an infinite gray screen mm -hmm. what are you gonna what are you gonna put in it it's an infinite world and so having a frame of reference first going back again full circle to ai sometimes just typing in Show uh, you know, show me a spaceship with they pick one that they want. Yeah, to look it to look like. Yeah, interesting. That's really cool. Do we have any other clips that we want to look at? Yeah. Um, so we've we've talked a lot about environments and movements. This one is a clip on like just a character in general, mm. and that's, uh, that's Davy Jones. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Man, they made such a handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> all right let me make it full screen keeps jumping for me here we go everyone talks about so what we're about to look at is from uh, pirates of the caribbean dead man's chest and everyone talks about davy jones but the whole crew really looks mm -hmm. so good i mean his dad is a lot of practical on uh, will's dad yeah mm. but hmm. what, what goes into making a character like this <laughs> so much um one, you have to start with design. What are you going to look at? You know, so you, you get you get concept artists to come in and it's months of work as it is. And then the concept art is passed on to this, the VFX department and they take this 
and the performance has to be they're using the live action performance of the actor on set and they're figuring out what can we take from it and what can we what we have to replace because mm -hmm. there's obviously the real actor doesn't have the little Little, little tentacles and things you can see those motions like in his eyes and cheekbones and mouth that are lingering from the performance right it is and also his lips his his mouth like they're follow they're exaggerating it but they're following that and his nose his cheeks his eyebrows are also his motion then they're either exaggerating it or adding on to it so it's it's a team of people working on this many layers like it's a lot of work to make this work I've seen some behind the scenes stuff where how they were talking about like different animators would animate different one of his tentacles. What? That's yeah. <laughs> so like they'd have enough work. Yeah, they'd have a person, person yeah. edit like, all right, you edit the fifth tentacle from the right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think so they obviously work together, but they also let them kind of do their own thing with the tentacle. That's why it looks like they're all have a individual. Mind of their own. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. they literally do. Right. Yeah, this movie looks so good. And the character of Davy Jones, again, is not there. Yeah. <laughs> There's an actor there in a mocap suit, but that's it. Nothing's like practical like we were talking about. There's so much emotion right there in the scene. It's perfect. And then again, with these clips, you can tell you're not seeing a lot of Davy Jones outside of dark and rainy environments. And just rainy environments are also inherently dark because of the clouds. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that helps... One of the things I've heard is that light and water have a really hard time when it comes to like making them look real in a digital space. And I feel like probably darkness helps avoid some of that. Some of the way light scatters and reflects off of things, especially as angles change with motion in really hard to mimic ways. Mm. From what, from what I understand, and you correct, definitely correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're, 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 it can be challenging. It depends a lot. Like this is a daytime shot and he's still slimy. Um, they, the, the other thing I noticed with CG that helps a lot is when it's a totally alien thing. Now, if we had Orlando Bloom's face and we were trying to make Orlando Bloom a clone here, a CG clone, that wouldn't have worked. That's you weird. would have instantly have seen the difference. But because Davy Jones has such an alien looking face that mm. you don't really have much of a reference what are you going to do go to the locals you know sushi shop yeah. uh, you know, like it, it, oh boy yeah right you know it you can't really see i don't see that yeah. in real life you know right they choose to go most uh, practical a lot on some of these people who are half human mm -hmm. half fish who are still in that process of transformation i don't know necessarily maybe you guys can pick out what they're doing for the hammerhead shark gentleman because his head is he might be entirely motion capture he looks really good, but he's basically fully transformed into a human it, hammerhead shark. It looks to me like it's a combination of uh, practical, um, like a, like a, it's a, it's a thing on his head. It's an yeah. appendage. It's not an appendage. I, that's what's it called when they did that makeup. A hat. It's a hat. A makeup hat. <laughs> a hammerhead makeup. No, I'm thinking, uh, oh. Oh my goodness, why can't I think of it now? It's the Klingons wore it, the little ridges on their head. It was the. There's a specific VFX term for this? or It's it a, just like... a makeup term that they said it's a, a I don't know, anyway, an attachment. Yeah. I, I will call it that, you know, a makeup attachment. And that's what 
it looked like that hammerhead was that with some VFX elements added in post. I, when I was looking up some research of this character, they did have a digital copy of all of those background characters really? and stuff. So. That's impressive. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen the behind the scenes of that. I I skimmed through it today and they had a bunch of them <laughs> on <skimmed> it. <laughs> on the screen. Well, I was looking to see if I could find like a good video that like showed like the before and after, mm -hmm. but I couldn't find one that that did it for this episode. How but interesting. That's that, that's so much work and I'm and the, the fact that it it still holds that's not a new movie. It's an no, old yeah. movie. It's what 10, 15 years old now. Well, you know something I'd be curious to ask you about? Um, my, me and my fiance talk about this. And I think this is a, a general concept that people talk about is that it seems like special effects, digital effects, that they kind of peaked um, like at this weird time, like 10 years ago. Like special effects are pretty much as good in a lot of movies as they are now. And it just seems like we've in some sense, like they've gotten worse in areas where there's less preparation maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and in some areas, like almost at best, they're just as good as they were. Like oh my God, that's a good... Interstellar is from 2014. Oh, the movie looks fantastic. Man. Pirates, you know, like these mo like Transformers. Transformers. Those movies look great. They don't make movies necessarily that look better than that now, other yeah. than maybe the exception of like Avatar Way of Water. Boy, you bring up a good point. I haven't even thought of this, but yeah, I some of it, I'd like to take the devil's advocate on um, in the sense that everyone thinks that the special effects from their era, they remember it mm -hmm. better than it actually is. Take the special effects from Empire Strikes Back. If you look at it now, they had to go back and clean up the mat lines around those AT-AT walkers because they, showed, they couldn't show it at full opacity. They couldn't print it at full opacity. They had, so in the original edit... It's a little rough. You can see the sky and the, the horizon line through the cockpit. Um, they cleaned it up for the special edition because now they had After Effects and they had better roto ability and they could clean it up. But so are the special effects better or worse? I think it really comes down to there was always bad special effects and there was always good special effects. It depends on the movie and the budget and the time and the art house that was in it and also cooperation again all those things that we were talking about about what makes good vfx um and yeah those movies do stand up but i look back on them and I'm, you can see subtle improvements in a lot of things like the shaders on the spaceship in avatar way of water are better than the shaders on the spaceship in interstellar i'm gonna get a lot of hate for that one <laughs> but um there are there are subtle improvements. It's it's inner it's 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 tiny changes over time that they're improving on refinements. Um, but then again, there are some spaceship movies that have been released since Interstellar that don't look as good as Interstellar. I, I think it really comes down to there's good and bad VFX in every generation, and we all remember our generation's stuff yeah. as good, but we're informing it through that nostalgia thing, mm -hmm. right? Oh, man. and that really goes back to anti-CGI people who are like, oh, it's always better in practical. Yeah, well, you came from the era <laughs> when they didn't have CGI, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I give you a lot of shit for your love for the Transformers movies, but uh, my fiance was recently rewatching them, and dang, they, they do look phenomenal. 
they, they look phenomenal. The, 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 yeah. The Get out of here, Dan. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good to see you. Thanks for being on the show. Somebody on my team. Transformers plots are trash. Um, but hey, those plots are great. Run from those explosions. Just keep running. Keep running. Keep looking pretty. Yeah. I wonder if it's less of the issue of like, oh, the CGI is getting worse, but more of the issue of the greed and timelines mm-hmm. that these franchises are being put under because like a lot of the big movies that we're saying like don't look as good are part of franchises that did look a lot better when only one movie a year came out yeah. instead yeah. of three and you know like, like where the water gets worked on for like 13 years so yeah clearly it's going to have a little bit more of a yeah. advantage leg up right so i'm sure a lot of in the newer movies a lot of the technical aspects are probably better but the execution of everything is a little murky because the artists didn't have enough time and that's really it is it's the same for practical as it is for cgi the artists working on it and the cooperation of the various teams and how they work together and if you get a good team it doesn't matter what tools they're using they're going to produce amazing visuals right and it, it, it like you said the sheer volume of these movies coming out now and the insatiable demand for more of these movies i mean i guess i <laughs> i guess it's I, waning it's waning there's too much it's getting saturated yeah. like the the buffet is like endless i'm like can we get something new you know as opposed to 20,000 different Batman, you know, origin hey, hold stories. On, hold oh, on. oh, sorry, sorry. Hey, pick it, pick, choose the character wisely. No, <laughs> hey, Dan, we started this episode out really good. I'm with, I'm with you on Nolan. Okay, I, I like Nolan, but yeah, but you, know. you haven't seen the other Batman. You can't hate on it yet. I don't hate right. on it. All right, I'm All right. saying I like Nolan's. Okay. <laughs> okay. You probably come out still liking it best. You could, yeah. I have a right to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not in Aaron's mind. <laughs> we have, uh, do we have any other clips you wanted to catch? How are we doing? That was all that we had prepared for today, actually. Wow. Um, but if there's any like sticking out to you guys that you really want to watch, we can definitely pull it on, or we can even save it for a future episode. Um, yeah, I feel like this time's flying by. I, I really love the conversation around everything. Really? Oh, talking about. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm having a good time with the conversation too. I don't want to. To drag anything out too long. I mean, we have we have other clips, obviously, that we could suggest, but we could also do another. Like you mentioned, we could do another episode at some point. Have yeah, back if, as long as you'd like to. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to respect your time and not keep you here too long. You sick of me already? You know, <laughs> while you are starting to hate on some of my movies that I really like. I know. Hey, hate. I didn't know. As, as long as you don't say anything about the body. About the body. I haven't <laughs> seen the body. <laughs> we are talking about the film here. Yeah. Um, I, I did have a thought, too, going back to, like, CGI and the franchises. You know, like, like the creator, that wasn't a franchise, and that looked really good. And the, the director of that, I forget his name off the top of my head, but he was a... Alex Garland. Yes. Yeah, he was. He worked in special effects mm-hmm. before becoming the director of this movie and it paid off you know yeah. he made the movie on i think it was what 80 million dollars or something oh. silly like that you know and, talk, and before we got going and before the before we got on air it was uh rogue one we were talking about mm-hmm. and he's from alm the director yeah. got his director's chops like he was gonna quit george lucas goes no no i'll put you through film school so he went through film school and he became a successful director 
and producer. And, and, and he started in ILM. Yeah. And Ex Machina looks really great too. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Ex, I mean that it's, it's maybe not as flashy. I don't know if that's the right word, but maybe not as flashy as some of the other like big special effects and other movies, but just, um, the, the AI, her, like the shape of her mm. head and her, mm -hmm. like the, the, like robotic nature that they gave to her with the CGI, man, they, they, it was really good. It looks really great. And, He's a, he's one of the great writer directors that we have going for us right now. So it's cool. Whenever you have somebody who is like a crossover with different um, like departments, they always do really well in that area. Like mm -hmm. we love Chad Stahelski and J David Lech, who gave us John Wick and now like yeah. a bunch of other great movies because they were stuntmen and stunt coordinators, and now they make badass action movies. So oh, like you're right. The the crossover for Alex Garland from like the writing side to CGI side to directing, then his movies excel on that too. I think is his strength. Yeah, you and I were talking about this on our phone call a few weeks ago where it's good to know a little bit about everyone's job so you know how to work with everyone else right. on a project. You know, like you don't have to know how to do everything, but I think it's important for you to have some experience, you know, dipping your toes in mm -hmm. to be able to, to work with them, to know what they need that from you to help them with their process communication yeah yeah you need to be able to speak the same language at least somewhat like, right <laughs> like if you if i use you know some more technical terms for cgi like ambient occlusion or Ooh. you know texel density and oh, people damn. Damn. and people are like i have no idea what that means it sounds cool like but but somebody who is in cgi and knows 3d modeling would know what i'm talking about and mm -hmm. so Again, like one of my best working relationships with Seth Deming, we worked on that lawnmower thing and we've done a number of projects together, but he is a kind of a, a amateur CGI artist too. He does use the same programs I use. So when not when he, he oftentimes will offer an, an idea that I hadn't even thought of. And usually it's simpler. Like I'm going down the rabbit hole, trying to find a, the most complicated way to accomplish this. And he's just yeah. like, we're not making a, a feature film here. And besides, even feature films wouldn't go through this much work. Why do, Why not just fake it? And he's right. You just fake it and it looks great. Yeah. So that's, that's telling a lot of what you were saying that if everybody knew a little bit about it, and that's why. And, and then you can, you can yeah. bounce ideas off each other yeah. too. It's like, hey, Dan, I'm thinking of this in my head. What do you think? And then maybe you have a suggestion to mm -hmm. kind of elevate it. And then we just can bounce ideas back and forth to create the best product or to rein each other in that's, that's true other <laughs> thing because sometimes we can get too full of a head of steam and like oh it's got to be perfect you know that perfectionist thing where we go down and like like we have you know two minutes before deadline and you're still rendering what's going on you know like they <laughs> rain on each other in. You're yeah. like, well, handle you know, let's draw back a little. No one will see that shadow in the background <laughs> yeah. of the background. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. blurred. Yeah, in the mirror. <laughs> no one will notice. You know, the stormtrooper hit his head on the door. No one will ever. <laughs> well, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, thank you. It's really cool to have like an expert on the show to, <laughs> well, you, 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 you have a lot more knowledge about this stuff than Andrew and I do. So it's really cool to talk about what goes into making these different scenes possible. 
you know. And you give us legitimacy. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think you guys are legit. We, we, uh, we are, uh, you know, the backseat critics. That's right. Backseat <laughs> directing. <laughs> we're, we're in the back. <laughs> you should do it like this. <laughs> oh, the, the ba- that makes sense. Backseat directing. Okay, now I get it. Clicks, right? Ah. And we got the logo in the, the rear view mirror of the car because we're oh, in the backseat. I bet you there's a few listeners, too, that are just now getting that reference <laughs> as well. <laughs> um. But yeah, so where can people find you? I know DanBrownCGI.com is your website. DanBrownCGArt is my Instagram. Uh, my, I mean, my uh, Dan, Daniel Brown's, uh CGI is my YouTube. Okay. So yeah. And then you teach some classes and stuff? On, yeah, uh, that's unreal, but that's just... That's just a thing. I don't do that publicly. Okay. Lord, I could never. That one I would never be able to keep up. I can barely keep up with six oh, students. Sure. To, sure. Like, so that one's closed. I don't take more. <laughs> There's a wait list, boy. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. It's, that's my whole Monday. It's taken up just prepping. Dan's that. business like grows exponentially. Oh, uh, students. <laughs> Wanting to learn every subscriber. (laughs) Oh, God. Full sale calls up. No. Yeah, this has been a blast. We appreciate you as well as anybody else who decided to tune in and listen or watch the show. Again, I will ask, I will plead, I will beg, subscribe to our page, share us with friends and family. It's the best way for the show to grow. You can join in on our Discord. It's totally free. The link will be in the description to the episode. You can join in on the conversation. We can get you on there. there. You guys have a Discord? That's how we do. We like like to talk about movies, TV shows, comic books, and everything. Um, But you'll also be able to make episode topic suggestions in there, and you'll be able to see the titles and topics for upcoming episodes before they come out as well. We, we wanted to bring up the Discord while we were on air so we could, like, ambush you, like, pressure you, you into, like, Dan, it. it's like, you need to join this Discord. Like, Will Discord. you marry me on the Jumbo <laughs> You have to say yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't have to join Dan, but you gotta. Yeah, we put out new episodes every Monday and Thursday, post to all of our social media pages, which is pretty much everywhere. Check us out, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all the places. We post new episodes every day and... Every day? No, new, I meant new clips because I was going on clips. social media. Gotcha. And you can check out our uh, short film that comes out eventually. Eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that's it now. So, and that's, that's a wrap. wrap.